Hello, I'm Kendra Winchester here with Samaya Nassim, and this is Reading Women, a podcast inviting you to reclaim half the bookshelf by discussing books written by or about women. And this is episode 70, where we're talking about The Night Diary by Vera Hiranandani and The Far Field by Madhuri Vijay. So today we're talking about our two discussion books for our partition narratives theme. And so Samaya, you picked this theme, and I'm very interested to ask you, uh, why has this theme been so important for us to discuss on Reading Men? Hey, Kendra. Uh, first of all, it's so nice to be back to discuss the the books that we have for our discussion episode. And this theme is definitely very close to my heart. Uh, it's important to me, especially because my grandparents and their siblings separated because of the partition. So I have extended families in both countries. Uh, I have family in India and I have family in Pakistan. And I have seen their hurt at not having many opportunities to meet again. And I can't imagine being separated from my siblings and not being able to meet them. The partition has definitely affected my family and it's part of my family history. I've also been conscious of the tension between India and Pakistan all my my life and it was actually cricket matches between the two countries that sort of alerted me to this tension um, at a very young age in fact I think I was like just six or seven years old and I remember my brother and I we would watch uh, cricket matches on TV with our friends and the India and Pakistan matches were the most exciting ones because these matches were not just about cricket they were really more about proving which side is better. So to a child, like, it really introduced me sort of to the tension that, you know, was going on between the two sides. And to be honest, I understand that sports can sometimes be cathartic and it can be a friendly outlet. But especially in South Asia, everyone knows that there is too much toxic energy surrounding these cricket matches. And in fact, we had one recently during the Cricket World Cup. And so to me, this is just one example of how the two communities carry a sense of animosity against each other. That was from a personal perspective. And uh, secondly, I think that the partition is one of those horrific events in history that we need to learn from. uh, Because I don't think it's something that should happen again. And unfortunately, in our world politics today, there is a critical refugee crisis that is ongoing. And at the same time, we have world leaders who are choosing walls and borders over humanity and empathy. And in general, there is so much xenophobia around the world. Yeah, I didn't learn much about the partition. Like I knew that it happened, but I didn't have any idea about how it affected people on an everyday basis. So talking to you and reading these books has really broadened my worldview. And like you said, people being more focused on borders and walls than actual people obviously is a huge discussion here in America. And so these books really kind of reinforce the idea that people who are migrating from one place to another are migrating for a reason. And I think the books that we are going to be talking about today really feature that theme or that idea, uh, which I think is just an important discussion that everyone is really as human beings need to be discussing. Absolutely. I could not agree more with you. And I think that so many people are being forced to migrate these days. And events like the partition show us how how destructive political decisions can be. It's quite alarming, to be honest, to think that a group of political leaders can sit around a table and decide that it's time for millions of people to pack up only what they can carry and cross a border that never existed before. And also, I want to add that 
I grew up in the Middle East, like my family is from India, but I grew up in the Middle East. So I have been quite distant from all the politics of the partition. And it wasn't really part of my immediate reality in the, in the way that I saw the world around me. So this is also a topic that is new for me. New in the sense that now I'm actively and consciously thinking about the partition. And this is because I'm in India now. So I am thinking about the partition and these stories are really helping me get a deeper insight into what happened and really what it means for us today. So Kendra, your discussion pick is also a great introduction to the topic of the partition. Can you tell us more about it? Yes. So my pick is The Night Diary by Vera Hiranandani, and that's published by Division of Penguin. Um, And this actually was a Newbery Honor book, also has a bunch of honors and other awards. It did amazingly well here in the U.S. And so I was so excited to be able to read it. And so it is about... Uh, Nisha and her experience being uh, her mom is a Muslim woman, her dad is a Hindu man, and they got married. And so when her mom died in childbirth, she grew up as a Hindu young girl. And so when the partition happens, uh, she has to move with her family to India from what is now known as Pakistan. It was just an excellent introduction to the partition. I feel like as someone who just learned some broad strokes, history events, I, I didn't have any idea about the details of what happened. And this book is a great introduction, not just because it's written for middle readers and so it kind of simplifies things a little bit, but also because it doesn't delve too much into the violence. Like you know very much that it is there, but it doesn't give you those details. So you can absorb it, read it, understand it. It's an, a gorgeous book, but then this is your starting place. You can then go from this book and read more about the partition of India to read more about the, I guess, quote unquote, adult topics around the partition of India um, in your own time. But if you were to give this to a child as well, they would be able to learn about it and you wouldn't be concerned that they would be reading something before they were ready as children. So it's just a brilliant book and I absolutely loved it. It's just uh, so gorgeous. So I I definitely agree with everything that you've said, and uh, especially on the topic of the violence that is uh, portrayed in this novel. I think it's done really well in the sense that it's not it's not overwhelming, but at the same time, it's just enough to give you an idea of just how horrible the reality was during the time of the partition, especially from a child's perspective. And also one thing that works really well in this book is because Nisha is so young, um, she is viewing the world from the lens of a child and the narrative as a result is not clogged with the details of the politics surrounding the partition because it is so easy to write a book that basically you know, picks apart at what one side said and what the other side said and kind of like get caught up in that. So I love that, you know, this directs the attention to how the partition was experienced by children. To kids, it doesn't matter what the leaders are saying. You know, they they are facing the brunt of it in, in the way that their lives are being turned into, you know, living nightmares. It's also important to note that all this talk between leaders is what caused the partition anyway, and it is deeply linked to the tendency in adults to feel biased towards their own community and to kind of like use that as a way to create these divides. Because I'm sure there are many reasons, but, you know, it doesn't always have a happy ending. 
Yeah, and I think like what you said about it being from a child's perspective is incredibly important with this novel because, you know, she there's this moment where she's talking about going to school and she says, I never considered the religion of my schoolmates before. I just knew that, you know, this person was this person and they liked this thing. But now I have to worry about, you know, this person who is a Muslim, this person who is a Sikh, this person who is a Hindu. And she said, I never really realized all those differences before, but now I have to. And I thought that was such a important moment because you realize that some of these communities have been living in peace amongst themselves. And now these larger concerns were coming to play in these children's everyday lives. Yeah. And I think that's such a great way of introducing this concept of, you know, how we identify ourselves with ourselves and how we see other people to, to a younger audience. I think, you know, what Nisha writes about in her diary is basically the transformation in how people began to identify themselves and view other people. And the partition fractured the nation's collective identity into various communal identities. And this is the change that, you know, you were talking about that Nisha observes. She says that, you know, now her friend Sabine is a Muslim friend and her father's friend, Dr. Ahmed, is a Muslim doctor and, you know, so on. So there is the kind of communal identity that is reinforced amongst people. And there is a tendency in people to stick to their own communities. And this also leads to othering. I think the author does a great job at introducing these complex ideas to children, um, especially, you know, through Nisha's father, who explains to her and her brother that when you separate people into groups, they start to believe that one group is better than the other. So I think that was done really well. Yeah. And you and I have done a lot of discussion about how this novel works on almost like a you know, metaphorical level. So you can give this to a child and they can read it at face value, but also you see the Nisha also being, um, you know, her mother is a Muslim and her father is a Hindu, that she also represents a united India in that she's both. But we learn on the first page that she's writing this diary to her mother because her mother had died in childbirth, essentially. She, her mother is gone and it sort of uses this idea of her, family disappearing or something bad happening to her family as a way to illustrate India and the partition of India through the partition of Nisha's own family and, you know, perspective on herself. And I thought that was just so well done. And to an extreme detail, like this metaphor is carried out throughout the novel, but at no time did I feel like it overwhelmed the novel or took over the story. It was just seamlessly integrated into the narrative. Yeah, so I think her diary is, you know, like in a way she it's it's a way for her to connect to her mother who represents the Muslim side of her identity. But, you know, the the atmosphere of the partition really makes it a complicated issue for her because she cannot embrace her Muslim side. Like she is discouraged from doing that. And this is something that her brother Amil often reminds her of. And, you know, she's encouraged to keep quiet about her mother being a Muslim because that could cause problems uh, since her father is Hindu. And I think what's interesting is that their marriage is something that caused a lot of disapproval on both sides. And in a way, this kind of hints at the atmosphere that was brewing in the country before the partition even happened. 
Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And I think that you can see that in the discussion that her dad has throughout the novel. I won't get any spoilers about like, I guess her mom and her experience, because eventually they do meet uh, Muslim members of her family throughout their journey. And so there's some discussion about that and what that looks like on, you know, because her mom has died, she hasn't really talked about it a lot with her dad and different things. So I feel like she, throughout this journey, is also learning about her Muslim identity since she has grown up identifying as Hindu. But she also knows that her mom was Muslim so that, you know, is that experience that she and her brother is trying to kind of work through this through this partition and the fact that they are both, but that is what, in fact, their country is dividing over is just something that she has to process throughout the novel. And I feel like it's done in a very accessible way that children can also follow. But as an adult, you also get even more out of. Um, and that's something I'm continually impressed by the author doing throughout this novel no, honestly, it's it, there's just so much thought that went into creating these characters and their story, you know. Like you said, it's incredible that, you know, she's at that point where she is being almost told that she has to choose only one side of herself. And that really complicates matters for, you know, the way that she identifies uh, herself and the way that she sees uh, her own history, you know, like her own family history and what that says about the way that she sees the world. I mean, at one point she says, like, can you hate only one half of a person? Like, she asks these complex questions because she is both, like you said, like she's both Hindu and she's Muslim. And I remember there's like a section later in the book where Nisha makes up a prayer for herself. And what she does is she combines the Hindu and Muslim forms of worship in a way. I think she takes the words that she knows uh, from both religions. And so based on what she's observed of prayer, she basically combines the two religions. And, you know, she does that for herself. She does that because she wants to connect to both sides of herself and she wants to embrace both sides of herself and to her it's who she is but at the same time she's quite aware that mixing up the two religions is probably something that you know adults would get angry about because she has realized that the way that things are going she doesn't really have the choice to be both even though she is it's amazing the way that the story portrays this complexity and there's a huge sense of loss by the end of the book where she's creating, you know, making that prayer. And I, f- I felt like she herself was realizing that not just through the partition was she having to move, but that there was the sense of loss, that she was losing a, a part of herself or a part of India that was a united India and that loss and what that felt like. And so she is one of the many, you know, her family is one of the many Hindu families that migrated to India, just like there were many Muslim families that migrated over to Pakistan, what is now called Pakistan. And so that loss of that journey and just having to physically move represented that emotional movement as well. And I felt one of the ways that we could see this was through her love of food. Her brother really loves art. And so he does a lot of art things and draws and different things, just like her mother did as well, uh, but she really loves food. And so in the beginning of the book, they have a cook in the house. Her dad is a doctor. And so to help out around the house since her mother has passed, they have a cook and he teaches her how to cook, but he is also Muslim. So when they leave, they have to leave him behind. 
So cooking is a way that she remembers that Muslim member of her family, but also then harkens back to her mother as well. And that you would have imagined that if her mother had still lived, that she would be teaching her daughter. But one of the fun things about this book is that more men in the book really teach her how to cook than anyone else. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, you know, like her her grandmother actually discourages her from doing that. Her grandmother says that, you know, one day you're going to get married to someone who will provide you with people who will do this for you. So you don't really have to learn. But, you know, she is naturally inclined towards cooking. And I think it's clear from the start that, you know, the, the process of making food is something that fascinates Nisha. So she tries to help Kazi, who is their cook, and she's always looking for ways to get involved in the in the process, you know, whether it's by sifting, uh, sifting rice and working with peas or the small stuff that she can help with. But it is throughout the novel a skill that she develops quite naturally. I actually want to quickly go back to Kazi and say that Yes, it, it's a big loss when, when they have to leave him behind. And uh, what makes this more painful is that he was not just a cook for them, right? He was also like part of their family and he practically lived with them. And, you know, so that bond is something that also has to be sacrificed against their will. Yeah, and that is really one of the saddest parts of the book is when they have to leave him behind and you know leading up to the partition the novel is a diary and so it starts about a month before the partition and she writes these entries about worrying about that they'll have to leave him behind and she's worried about this so much and then it actually comes to pass and just that devastation of leaving part of herself essentially part of her heart because she loves him behind just really starts that journey for you realizing like oh she's having to leave part of her family behind and that kind of you know starts that journey for her migrating over to India and uh, it's just the beginning really definitely because she's so young and she has to go through so much and I think one thing that's interesting to note is that from the start you know even before they have to leave uh, like we talked about food Nisha is actually involved in learning this new skill which is you know cooking and it is a way for her to express herself while the world is falling apart around her so this ability to make a new meal out of a few basic things is something that is sort of an armor for Nisha and it is you know how she will build a life again and in a way I love that you know, the author portrays that we might lose some things that are important to us, like a mother or a home or someone that you love, who in this case is Kazi, the cook. But there are also ways that, you know, life prepares us. And this happens for Nisha because she follows her instinct for cooking and it ultimately helps her and those around her. So I felt like this was a really realistic portrayal of hope and how we can rebuild our lives. When with loss and with leaving behind Kazi also comes the fact that Nisha decides to carry one thing with her that's very close to her heart. And that is the mortar and pestle that, you know, Kazi gives to her. And it symbolizes the skill that she's also carrying forward. And she's taking it with her to this new country, you know, this new place that she now has to make her home. Yeah. And when you pointed out about the mortar and pestle, I was like, oh, yes, of course, because food is such an integral part to who she is and the skill that she is building. And I actually ended up making some recipes inspired by the dishes that she describes in her diary, because 
they were just that real. And I think describing food is is not easy. It's it's an art form in literature. And so the fact that the author did that and described that as part of Nish's character development was just so vivid and real. Just everything about this story, I think, works together. There's no there's no spare parts left. Like every word and every moment has a purpose in the narrative. And I think that really illustrates a skill in storytelling. Definitely. It's like just so well done that, you know, honestly, I'm in awe of this book and the author and I'm willing to read anything else that she writes. Definitely. Uh, it is just a fabulous book. Obviously, we can't recommend it enough. Um, and that is The Night Diary by Vera Hirandani. And we'll be back to discuss our second discussion pick, The Far Field, after a word from our sponsor. So, Samaya, you have our second discussion pick. Yes. So the book that I've picked for our discussion is The Far Field by Madhuri Vijay. This is easily one of the best books that I've read this year. And in a nutshell, this book is about Shalini, a young woman from Bangalore who has recently lost her mother. Shalini comes from a privileged Shalini comes from a privileged background, but she's not happy with where she is in life. And she feels an emptiness and a restlessness that sometimes overwhelms her. Um, a lot of this has to do with the fact that she has recently, you know, lost her mother and she's still de- dealing with that grief. So in this novel, Shalini decides to journey to Kashmir, which is a conflict zone, in order to look for Bashir Ahmed, a Kashmiri salesman who is her last connection to her mother. One of the reasons that I decided to pick this book is because it's set during modern times. So it kind of looks at the partition uh, from today's perspective. And I think that's so incredibly important when looking at the partition of India, because since it originally happened in 1947, I think a lot of people think, oh, well, that was so long ago. Everything has settled down now, right? Well, really, there's been such long-term effects of this. I think that that is what this book really captures. Definitely. And I think it also captures this idea that, you know, even though the partition happened so long ago and life seems to have moved on in some parts of India, it really hasn't moved on in Kashmir, which, uh, you know, like I mentioned earlier, it's, it's a conflict zone. So things are still pretty violent there and life is still very, very difficult. And people are struggling to survive. And basically, they are living day by day. And all of this is because, you know, the partition happened. And it left behind this this space where the fight continues. I think you can definitely see that with, you know, Shalini's first uh, drive to go to Kashmir is her relationship with her mom and how that really, after her mom passes, that really drives her to go looking for Bashir and, and to find that connection with her mom. Yeah, and I think this a lot of this has to do with the fact that her mother is quite elusive. You know, she, she has a very mercurial sort of personality, so she's unpredictable and very impulsive. You know, this is the sense that we get from Shalini's portrayal of her. And also that she's not a very happy person. So this does give rise to a very complicated mother-daughter relationship. And mother-daughter relationships in general are so delicate, you know, and their relationship is complex on a whole other level. So I think this definitely 
contributes to a good portion of Shalini's restlessness and, you know, why she feels a bit lost in life. I think she is fascinated by her mother. She, of course, feels this unique connection because, you know, she is her mother's little beast. For context, little beast is a nickname that her mother uses for Shalini. At the same time, um, Shalini is conscious of her own growth as a woman who is in her 20s, you know, and who has recently lost her mother. So having an impulsive mother whose mental health is sort of under duress for most of her life gives Shalini an unreliable framework for living, you know. So she's always looking for ways that her own life can explain her mother's life. I don't know if you got this sense while reading the book, but I feel like there were moments when... Shalini couldn't help but think of how her mother would react or respond. And I know that most of us do that, but in this context especially, I think that it says a lot about the kind of person that her mother was. Yeah, I I would agree. Her mother is a very complex person, and even as a reader, you never quite wrap your head around what's going on with her mother and Bashir, especially. Uh, I read this with a group of friends, and we were all speculating, what is the relationship between her mom and Bashir? And there's never really any sort of resolution on that. I think that's because Shalini herself really doesn't get a resolution on her mother as a person because her mom was so closed off. So... When she passes, there's no opportunity to learn more about her mom. And because that was such a complex relationship, it kind of, you know, emotionally, Shalini kind of implodes. um, And that really is the catalyst for her going to Kashmir to try to find Bashir. Most definitely. And I think, um, you know, like you said, her mother was really a bit inaccessible, even to the reader. And... Uh, We don't always know what's going on in her mind. And this is especially in regards to her relationship with Bashir Ahmed. I think, like you said, you know, while Shalini is searching for Bashir Ahmed, in a way, it's because she's trying to understand who her mother was. And she's trying to give a definitive form to the relationship that she had with Bashir Ahmed. uh, Because she's never, you know, she's never really understood what was going on there and to her this can only be achieved by finding him and talking to him so her journey to Kashmir is sort of like the search for closure you know that is layered and wailed behind the pretense of looking for Bashir Ahmed and it's of course a manifestation of her grief. So I think you know we've talked a little bit about what's inspired Shalini to go to Kashmir um But when she does go there, that is one of the timelines. So we have the timeline in the past with her mother when her mother was alive and uh, Shalini was a little girl. But then we also have this timeline when Shalini is in her early 20s and she goes to Kashmir looking for Bashir to try to kind of get some closure. But going to Kashmir, she has this attitude of, you know, yeah, she knows that Kashmir is a conflict zone, but really, you know, she wants to find Bashir and that is really the only driving force. So she goes up there, she discards her cell phone, just goes by herself as a woman traveling up there. And it's definitely a journey of discovery for the author. And I think whether or whether or not she grows as a character is a huge part or, or question of the novel. Yeah, and I think it definitely indicates her sense of privilege as well and her entitlement that she feels. It's it's a crazy thing to do, to be honest. You assume everyone would know that a place like Kashmir is not really the best place to go without a proper, you know, roadmap. 
and to leave your phone like that, it just doesn't doesn't seem very safe. And I think, you know, it kind of explains why when she reaches there and she reaches Kishtwar, which is this small town, she is sort of treated to a cold reception by some of the characters. And I think it's because, you know, she has come to look for a person who she hasn't even thought about in years. This person wasn't someone that she lost. It's just someone that she decides that she wants to look for. Uh, And I guess what I'm trying to say is, in Kashmir, when someone is looking for another person, it's usually a search that is born out of a horrible circumstance, like a kidnapping or an attack or just some riot, you know? So Shalini's search has no real purpose except her own sense of entitlement to answers because... You know, she wants to know more about this relationship that her mother had with this man. And so this is very, it is a very self-indulgent sort of journey. I think especially in the context of where she ends up, because she ends up in a house that is kind of like a halfway house for family members looking for people who have disappeared because of violence. And so she finds this place because she tells someone, I'm looking for someone who's missing. They send her to this house, probably assuming that she's lost someone because of the violence in Kashmir. And then she ends up there and the characters who are from Kashmir know her circumstances, but you can tell that she doesn't realize that she's ended up at this house that is striving to find these relatives and that their experience is way more difficult than hers, if that makes sense, because She's there because she chose to be there. They're there because they're forced to go looking for their family members because they want to know where they are. Yeah, and I feel like throughout the novel, there is the sense that she doesn't really understand what's really going on. Like, she sees things and, you know, she should know better, but she doesn't. And I think that this is the kind of, uh, the, the place of privilege that the author is really trying to portray over here. And in a way, I think it also speaks to the vastly different experience of life that you can find within the same country you know like so there's a there's this contrast between what Kashmir is and the kind of life that and reality that Kashmir has and the modern life of Bangalore which is where she is coming from which is far safer so she has been blanketed her whole life in the sense of security and she carries that with her and because of that she is really quite ignorant to the reality of what's going on around her that does make her a bit tactless. Yeah, definitely. And I felt continuously throughout this book that, you know, the Kashmiri people, because she meets several different families, were all being very gracious to her and that she would say things that were obviously she was pretty ignorant about their actual life circumstances. So there's this moment where she's standing on a hill with Riaz, who's a man that she meets, who's part of one of the families that she stays with. And you know, he asked her look out at to look out at Kashmir in the countryside to see what she says. And she says, oh, it's beautiful. And he says, Do you, you know, aren't you from Bangalore? Isn't that beautiful? But she's like, yeah, I see that all the time. And he's like, really? Well, I grew up here like you did in Bangalore. And I think Bangalore sounds beautiful. And it was just this contrast that she didn't even realize the privilege that she came from. And that while she saw beauty around Kashmir, she didn't realize the realities of their situation. And it was just a very poignant moment of illustrating her lack of understanding of her own entitlement and privilege that she carried with her. Yeah, and I think, you know, what's interesting is that 
Bashir Ahmed is the person who connects them both in a way, you know. So his stories about Kashmir are what bring her to Kashmir. And also his stories about Bangalore are kind of what instill that sense in Riyaz that he wants to leave and kind of go to the other to the other place, you know. And that's so true. Yeah, so in a way, like, Bashir Ahmed's storytelling kind of inspires two people to go in the opposite direction. Yeah, I mean, so what this really shows us is that for everyone, the grass is always greener on the other side. And one of the things that... So another indication of Shalini's privilege is in the way that she romanticizes the life of the people in Kashmir. And, you know, you you see her become acquainted with the life there. And, you know, she wakes up early morning to milk the cows. And, you know, for her, this is sort of a spiritual journey. But I think it's just really representing how her privilege is kind of making her blind to just how difficult life really is and how you can't really choose certain parts of a place. And the fact is, it's it's pretty sad to think that, you know, the people who are living in Kashmir, whose home it already is, are going, so, are going through so many horrible things. And they are really living in the kind of place where they could be attacked anytime and they could be driven out of their homes anytime. And it's just a very... It's just the kind of life, you know, where they are living day by day. They're trying to survive. But at any point, you could have, you know, an attack. And it just really complicates the idea of living in a in a place that is so beautiful to look at, but has so many complex, you know, things going on at the same time. And I think that really goes from like her upbringing, because we do get this timeline when she's a little girl, we also hear a lot about the perspective or viewpoints about Kashmir from people who are from Bangalore. So there's this one scene where her dad is throwing this party and he has a lot of his friends over and they start talking about Kashmir and politics and different things. And there is Bashir there, who is their guest, and they keep saying stuff to him like, well, why don't you Kashmiri people just accept the help we're trying to give you and all of this stuff about how they are ungrateful and that they're causing this on themselves. And I think that that really illustrates the extreme contrast between Kashmir and the people from Bangalore in this circumstance of, you know, Shalini's life. And how they really had no earthly idea what life was really like in Kashmir. And so when she eventually does go to Kashmir, you you can see that that is her background because she doesn't actually understand what life is like in Kashmir, just like her dad and his friends didn't understand. And that kind of generational misunderstanding continues with her when she goes there. And I just thought that was such a brilliant way to contrast the perspectives. Um, yeah, and I think another thing that's important to note here is that the people of Kashmir, you know, they have the right to fight for their home. And if things aren't the way that they feel things are supposed to be, then it's their right to fight that, you know, to fight for that. And the idea that you should be happy with what you're getting is just really callous. And I think this is the kind of background that the author is really trying to portray here, that there are so many people in the same country, you know, like the Kashmir and Bangalore, they're parts of the same country, but yet people's perception of what's really happening in Kashmir is just so different. And I think another reason this has happened is because perhaps there aren't many people talking about it. There is a possibility that, you know, there all there's all this 
misinformation that's going around because Kashmir is the kind of remote place where there's so much military control and there's so much like so much going on that doesn't even make the news and this is something that we see at another point in the story definitely I think what really unravels in the story is you know Shalini's ultimate realization that she actually makes things worse by trying to help and uh, I think this is also an indication to the kind of background that Shalini comes from where you know because she has all this entitlement and this privilege that she does not really understand that there is more to what's going on in Kashmir than what she can offer you know like in terms of the help that she can offer and all of this is actually something we learn on the first page of the story where you know it's it it kind of sets the mood that this is Shalini reflecting back at her life, uh, especially the events of what happened in Kashmir. And she's kind of thinking about, you know, what she did and what that led to. At the start of the story, there's this really incredible line where she writes of the following sentence. She says, consider this, even now at this very moment, there are people huddled in a room somewhere waiting to die. And I just felt like that was such a powerful statement and how true that is, you know, regardless of whether you read this book today, next week or 10 years from now. And I think ultimately that is really one of the things that should be the main takeaway is how events like the partition really result in this violent, you know, cycle that could just contributes to the violence that is already happening in the world. I definitely agree. That was something that's definitely, I think, impressed upon you throughout the book, and especially near the end where she, you know, kind of brings everything together, which of course we can talk about because of spoilers. But I think one of the best things about this book is that with all of these themes that we've been talking about, she writes the book and paces the book in such a way that it forces you to sit and think about the things that you've been reading because you can't speed read this book. There's no possible way. It kind of demands the attention that it deserves considering the seriousness of the topics that it's talking about. And it's just so well written. And I feel like the takeaways from this book are so rich and it's definitely worth all of that time. And so I don't know how on earth she wrote the book this way. I don't know how you would write a book where the prose itself kind of forces you to slow down and, and think about Shalini and her life and the experience that she's having in Kashmir. And it just, at the same time, you don't want it to end and you're, you're just turning the pages, just trying to figure out what happens. And I feel like that really supports the theme of the book in that it makes you consider these topics on multiple levels because you can't just speed through them, if that makes sense. Definitely. I, I agree with you. There's just a sense and there's there's a sense of calm in the book, you know, even though there's like this intense conflict that is being represented. But at the same time, you want to slow down and the book forces you to, you know, take a take a slower pace and really take in each sentence, take in each paragraph and think about what's going on. And this is the kind of reflection that I wish that we see more in, in stories and Ultimately, I think the the wonderful thing about this book is that, like you said, it offers so much that there are many, many ways of looking at it. You could you could simply talk about, you know, mental health. You could talk about the mystery of it all. You could talk about military aspect and, you know, the conflict zones and all of that. So it's just 
such a such a deeply layered novel that offers a lot to the reader. So if people have the patience to sit with it and really digest the story as a you know as a, as the author is telling it, I think it would be a very rewarding experience. Yeah, so that was The Far Field by Madhuri Vijay. It was published by Grove Atlantic in the U.S. And that's our show. If you haven't yet, please leave us a review in your podcast app of choice. And thanks to all of you who have already done that. Many thanks to our patrons whose support makes this podcast possible. A special thanks to our patron of the day, Lee Phillips. We greatly appreciate your support. To subscribe to our newsletter or to learn more about becoming one of our patrons, visit us at readingwomenpodcast.com. Join us next time when Kendra and Sachi will be talking about books, about chronic illness and mental health. In the meantime, you can find Reading Women on Instagram and Twitter at The Reading Women. You can find Kendra at Katie Winchester and me on Instagram at Sumaya.books. Thanks for listening to Reading Women. Storybound is a podcast where acclaimed writers read their essays and stories, which are then scored by unique and award-winning composers with each episode hosted by myself, Jude Brewer. With Storybound, you'll find a whole array of genres and musical styles, some painful yet sweet or hilarious yet tragic, all brought to you by the Podglomerate and Lit Hub Radio. Hi, I'm So Pandeb. Hi, I'm Megan Angelo. This is Tommy Orange. This is Amanda Stern. This is Phil Cly. Hello, this is Stephanie Dandler. My name is Chloe Caldwell, and you're listening to Storybound. Storybound. This is Storybound. 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 This is the Storybound podcast. Season two will be arriving on July 14th with new episodes every Tuesday, featuring writers like Stephanie Dandler, Garth Greenwell, Tommy Orange, Chloe Caldwell, and more. Make sure to subscribe today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And tell a friend, because the next best thing to hearing a great story is having someone to share it with.